The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Inflation, overheating, and labor shortages? Oh, my. The J-PAL to-do list getting longer every day. But will the Fed give a hint when they will make a move on interest rates? In Geneva, President Biden meeting face-to-face with Vladimir Putin. We are on the ground with what you can expect. The biotech boom. And we highlight a new, potentially $10 billion vaccine market that has nothing to do with COVID. Cybersecurity flaw exposed. Why a new report from McAfee has shares of Peloton running scared. One hot commodity that has seen its price soar recently. One that may really surprise you given that it's 2021. It is your morning RBI, and it's ahead on today's Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. Well, there is going to be a lot going on today. And it's all ahead of the Fed. So ahead of that, why don't we get a check on your money and the futures? They are mixed. Dow futures down 48. Technology, which has been hot, by the way, is up 13 points right now. Now, overall, those stocks have been slowly, sloggingly scratching out new highs. But they've been doing it on very small moves. Check this out. Instanet notes that 14 of the past 15 trading sessions, the S&P 500 has moved less than one half of 1%. So kind of slowly grinding higher, but higher nonetheless. What's not higher? Bond yields. They keep backing up. And ahead of the Fed, the benchmark 10-year note is still below 1.5%. What is up is oil and oil stocks. And oil is higher once again today. Right now, crude oil above $72 per barrel. Wow. So watch gas prices, by the way, and watch oil stock prices. The XLE sector ETF coming off its biggest move yesterday so far in June and up again right now. It has been a great year for oil stocks. And while many say that Bitcoin may be the ultimate inflation hedge, given that inflation is the ultimate watchword of the day, maybe of the week, let's check prices. Bitcoin, we'll call it flat. Ripple, Ethereum, Litecoin, kind of flat to maybe slightly mixed there. Bitcoin at $40,004. All right, as always, more on the markets and your money in moments. But right now to this morning's top story, as we are just hours away from that highly anticipated face-to-face between Vladimir Putin and President Biden in Switzerland. Eamon Javers has been on the ground all week and joins us now with more on what we may expect today. Eamon. 
Good morning, Brian. It is a beautiful day for a summit here in Geneva. Summary by the lake, and that's where the two leaders are going to meet. It's a, a villa here right on Lake Geneva called uh, Place de Lagrange. Uh, that's where the two men will meet later this afternoon. Here's what we know about what the schedule is going to look like. At about 7 a.m. Eastern time, we do expect to see both men uh, at the villa. We're going to see uh, Putin arriving first, and then we'll see Joe Biden arriving. That's because Vladimir Putin has a history of standing leaders up a little bit, making them stand around and wait awkwardly. This way, if Putin gets there first, Biden doesn't have to be in that awkward moment. This delicate diplomatic dance, so very intensely choreographed. The meeting is expected to run about four or five hours, and each leader is going to hold their own individual press conference on the way out. That's, that's a change from what we've seen in, in the past in some cases where you've had this joint press conference between the two leaders. Joe Biden says he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want people calculating the number of seconds that each man spoke to see who won looking at the body language, uh, seeing how manly the handshake was, all that analysis. Biden doesn't want to do any of that. He wants to simply say how he felt this went on the way out. And then, of course, the big issues on the table between these two men. So many things to discuss, starting with that spate of ransomware that we've seen in the United States and then moving along to the situation in Ukraine, which is still unresolved. Election interference in the United States and around the world by the Russian side. All of that's going to be on the table, Brian. So a big day coming up here in Geneva. All right. How do we measure success? How will we know what we may get out of it and what the ultimate end game may be? That's a good question, Brian. I mean, officials on the White House side and on the Kremlin side have been downplaying expectations for any big deliverables here. They've been saying, you know, we're not going to negotiate a new treaty. We're not going to have any kind of major agreements or breakthroughs here between these two men. Uh, but one thing I think you can look for, if this is going to be a success, you know, both countries have withdrawn their ambassadors to the other countries in, in the course of the past few months of tensions. If they reinstate the ambassadors at the end of this day today, I think a lot of people around the world will look at that and say, you know what, that's a success. The Biden team has said all they're looking for here is to set up a stable and predictable relationship between the U.S. and the Russian sides. Uh, if they reinstate the ambassadors, that might indicate some sense of stability returning to the relationship, Brian. All right, a big meeting later on today in Geneva. And you're right, Eamon, a very beautiful setting. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you. You too, Brian. All right. Now to the markets and the big Fed rate decision today. And while absolutely no one expects the Fed to actually raise rates, the attention, of course, will be on the Fed's language and whether there are any hints that the Fed will get more aggressive in fighting inflation. So what could all this mean for your money? Joining us now is Federated Hermes portfolio manager and equity strategist, Steve Chevron. Steve, good to have you back on again. Do you expect... You know, those slight, subtle changes in language by the Fed that give us a hint that maybe higher rates are sooner than we expect or kind of a repeat of the last meeting. Uh, we're certainly hopeful for some of those signs. We think they're appropriate. Um, you know, we think the Fed needs to do some stuff on the short end of the yield curve to stabilize the repo market. Again, that's not a big thing, but you have to do the easy things before... We can expect them to do the hard things. We're looking at the dots. We think those dots, some of them will move into 2023 to suggest that, you know, we're thinking about thinking about tapering. And then and then we think or hope that we may see some commentary in the in the press conference that suggests that Jackson Hole really is the forum in August 
uh, when the Fed will, will get more detailed about their tapering plans. But uh, we'll see. You know, we we'll just have to see where, where Chairman Powell comes out uh, during the press conference this afternoon. Yeah. And, you know, we're looking at a chart of the 10 year bond yield, Steve. And, you know, like not to take anything away from the drama around it, but it appears that the the bond market kind of already had its taper tantrum of a few months ago with that steep rise in rates between November and March. And we've been pretty much flat, even slightly down since then. All of that begs this question. What do we do? Do we change our stock ownership because of this? And if so, how? Yeah, we, we, we were not throwing in the towel on our, our set of calls. You know, our view is that inflation is going to last a little bit longer than the Fed expects. We think transitory is right, but we think transitory is a two-year story, not a six-month story. And we think it's going to run a little hotter than the Fed expects. Not 70s or 80s style dangerous inflation, but hotter than what we had pre-pandemic. And in that environment, we think that you're going to see that 10-year yield break up towards 2%. And you're going to want to be overweight cyclicals, small caps, international stocks, um, and dividend payers in that environment. Those are the parts of the equity market that are best positioned. Uh, last couple of weeks have been frustrating, certainly, with those yields staying flat or, or falling a bit. But they're holding 1.5%, and we think the next move is more likely to be towards 2 than it is towards to be towards 1%. Well, we have a poll on that, by the way, coming up a bit later on in the program. I Ooh. asked that on Twitter, sort of getting the, the Pulse of the people on what they expect. All right. All right, you said the dividend payers, Steve. A lot of companies pay dividends. Can you be more specific? Yeah, you, you want companies with high dividends, uh, you know, those dividend yields that are 3% or, or above that are growing at a, at a rate of, you know, similarly, 3 to, to 5%. And you really want that, not necessarily, well, you do want it relative to the overall stock market, but relative to fixed income. If you are in an inflationary environment, equity income tends to hold up a lot better uh, and yield much higher yields and returns than fixed income does. Uh, and so we think that's a key call. Uh, you want to trade away a little bit of that downside protection to get that higher yield in an environment where yield is really hard to come by. So you think Brian, stocks would be higher a, on December 31st than they are now, Steve, the S&P 500? Yeah, we do. Uh, we, we've got a 4,500 target for this year. We've got a 5,000 target for next year. Again, that assumes that inflation doesn't scream and run away. Or, yeah, inflation doesn't eat into those earnings expectations. But, my friend, you've been, you've, been, you've been long, you've been strong, and you have been right on these markets the last few years. So we appreciate your views and coming on this morning. Steve Chevron. Steve, thank you. Thanks, bro. Take care. All right, take care. All right, when we come back, has your exercise bike been hacked? A major potential flaw exposed in Peloton software, including maybe even its camera. Plus, the bears are out. Why Morgan Stanley is throwing cold water on a market that seems red hot. And later on, Singapore taking a big issue with the G7 and its global minimum tax proposal. We'll tell you what that fight is about, all in Worldwide Exchange Returns, right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning. Let's get you up to speed on some of this morning's top headlines, including more on the concern over potential hack on Peloton software. Bertha Coombs joining us now with those. Bertha, are hackers spying on us while we sweat away on the exercise bike? Yeah, it's not a pretty picture, I'm sure, for a lot of them. But according to McAfee, that is a possibility. They say they found a security vulnerability in Peloton products and the issue has now been fixed. But attackers could have installed malware through a USB port and potentially spied on riders and gyms and other public spaces. This would put bikes in places like gyms and hotels at higher risk. McAfee warned cyber criminals could get access to the bike and then install a fake version of apps like Netflix or Spotify that would then let those attackers trick users into entering personal information. Now, Peloton fixed that vulnerability, and McAfee says it's not aware of any real-world breaches. Meantime, Chinese trucking startup Full Truck Alliance is looking to go public in the U.S. and raise as much as $1.6 billion. SoftBank and Tencent are among the company's biggest backers. This could be one of the biggest U.S. listings by a Chinese company this year. And Starbucks, naming John Culver as its new chief operating officer. Culver has been with the chain for nearly 20 years now. He will replace Roz Brewer, who stepped down as Starbucks COO in February to become the CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance. And this week, Brian, Roz Brewer marks 90 days at the helm of Walgreens. Back over to you. It just seems like Brewer is kind of the perfect name to work, though, at, you know, at a coffee company. But congratulations on the, on the big promotion to a Fortune 100 CEO job, Brewer. Now we're yeah. going to Culver's, though, which has a lot of folks waiting to see what more she's going to do. There you go. Yeah. All right. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right. We are just getting started and on deck, traveling the road to recovery. What we are hearing from CEOs about global travel, including the all-important business travel market. Today's big number, $2.4 trillion. That was the total value of global mergers and acquisitions during the first six months of 2021, according to a report by Refinitiv. That's up over 158% from the same period last year. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
Well, it is a big day here on CNBC because our Evolve Global Summit is happening all day and all around the world, gathering leaders and executives from the globe and looking at innovation and the new era of business. Nancy Hungerford joining us now with more on the panel she hosted, looking at travels, long road to recovery, and what global travel CEOs are saying. Nancy, good to have you back on. It's a big deal because I myself would like to hop a flight from Newark to Singapore soon. When is that going to happen? Well, Brian, I haven't been on a plane, actually, since November of 2019, so you and me both. And I think the big takeaway from my panel today is that it's a rather uneven road to recovery because even though many countries in Asia handled the pandemic well to begin with, the vaccine rollout has been much slower than what you're seeing in the United States. And I had the chance to talk to some industry leaders about the issue of vaccines. Tony Fernandez, who is an industry titan out here in Southeast Asia, weighed in on this question of whether or not we would see some sort of internationally recognized vaccine passport. Take a listen to what the CEO of AirAsia had to say on this. I'm not optimistic, to be honest, on, a, on an internationally recognized vaccine passport. What I think is needed, though, is consistency for the travel industry. You know, if you've got two vaccines, OK, you don't need a quarantine. That seems to vary country to country. I think there's got to be an acceptance of all vaccines should be approved, uh, you know, that are approved by the WHO should be acceptable. I don't think uh, countries should say, oh, you can only come in on this vaccine or you can only come in on that vaccine. So those are things are a little bit more of a challenge. So that's a message from one of the industry incumbents, if you will. But I also had a chance to speak to the leader of one of the startups that was hardest hit in SoftBank Musa Sun's portfolio during the pandemic. And that is the CEO of Oyo Hotels and Homes based in India. But they have a huge global footprint. Take a listen to what Ritesh Agarwal had to say when I asked him whether or not this COVID crisis had made him rethink the Musa model of growth at any cost. We want to make sure that we double down in geographies where we have large consumer footprint and large small hotel and homeowner footprint for whom we do our job. And we hence double down in India, Southeast Asia and Europe. And of course, markets such as China, which are a critical market for us, we said that we'll continue investing in technology based innovation there. So there you have it, Ritesh Agarwal of Oyo telling us, look, they're doubling down the geographies that were doing well. And he also talked about a more thoughtful approach to growth. And so it's very difficult, Brian, to find silver linings in this crisis. But if there is one, I think we're talking about a bit of a humbling of the startup sector when it comes to that period of just scale at whatever it takes, because they are now looking more at the core businesses when it comes to doubling down in certain areas. Let's get back to the breaking news. You haven't been on a flight since November of 2019. I mean, what's the story <laughs> in Southeast Asia? Changi is the best airport in the world. We know that. I've been on four flights in the last it's, seven days. It's the best. That's a true story. I know, what, Brian. What's, I flew 30,000 air miles <laughs> last year in 2020. No, what, what's going on? What are you going to uh, hop well, on a plane? The what's the issue? Is Soon, soon, very soon, I hope. But, uh, you know, they take it very seriously here in terms of not letting the COVID crisis get out of control. And right now we still face a three week quarantine if I did want to leave and come back. And I'll be honest with you, Brian, I now have a six month old and the idea of a three week quarantine is rather daunting. But hopefully this all changes when the vaccines ramp up here and we get to see you in person. Wait a minute. If you if you flew from Singapore to Hong Kong. You have a three-week quarantine at home when you return? 
Now, I wish, if it were at home, I might consider that. Right now, if I want to go to the United States and come back, three-week quarantine in a designated hotel facility. In a designated ho- The Marina Bay Sands is very <laughs> lovely this time of year. Maybe the Fullerton, perhaps. But with a six-month-old, I don't know. You can't choose. Nancy Hungerford. You can't choose. Yeah, no, the... F- it's like... <laughs> Fullerton would be lovely, but you can't choose it's the like hotel, sadly. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you're Tom Hanks in that volcano movie, but you're in a hotel <laughs> instead of an island. Wow, it's hopefully Singapore. We'll, we'll go to Sentosa Island. We'll, ha- we'll have a Singapore slang, whatever it may you be. You know it well. Nancy Hungerford, a big day. <laughs> Nancy, by the way, thank you. Congrats. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you, Brian. Good to All see right. you. And the CNBC, you. you're very welcome. Evolve Global Summit continues throughout the day. The U.S. stage kicking off at 11 a.m. Eastern time with a number. Look at that. Look at that wall of high-profile people. By the way, if you want to tune in, you can still register at cnbcevents.com slash evolve. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines, including a blow to the Biden administration over its attempted ban on certain types of oil and gas drilling. NBC's Philip Menez in New York now with that and more. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, that's right. It was a major blow to President Biden's efforts to target climate change. A federal judge in Louisiana blocked the administration's ban on new leases to drill for oil and gas on public lands. The Interior Department says it'll comply with the decision, signaling that proposals to drill in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico will move forward for now. Extreme heat across the U.S. has led to several parts of the country shattering record highs. Cities like Denver and Helena, Montana saw highs in the triple digits, and parts of the desert southwest could see temperatures as high as 127 degrees. And relief may be some time away, with about 200 million Americans projected to see thermometers passing the 90-degree mark over the next week. The U.S. Drought Monitor says half of the West is under an extreme drought. Finally, uh, Red Bull is showing off its Formula One car by pulling off this incredible stunt. Check it out. That plane soaring upside down over former F1 championship driver David Coulthard. He was able to use a mirror to see the plane coming, but the pilot, well, the pilot had to keep his eyes on the runway to make sure that he did not crash into the ground, Brian. So all this ahead of the Grand Prix coming up in France uh, over the weekend. Going over, yeah, some some old bridge. Coulthard, by the way, a legend, by the way, a great driver. And but I'll, I'll tell you what, as great of a driver as David may be, that pilot, I think, that, takes the cake. That, he's the, right. he's a real MVP right there for sure. It's cool to see though. Y- yeah, yeah. What's a Top Gun? I was inverted. How'd you <laughs> see that, Maverick? I was inverted. Goose. Phil Mendes, like, what's that Top Gun movie? Never no, heard of it. I, All right, Phil. I remember <laughs> Goose. Rest in peace. Spoiler alert. Yeah, talk, talk to me. Talk to me, Philip. Talk to me. All right, Philip, thank you very much. All right, ahead. Oh, much more on the Biden-Putin meeting in Geneva on a more serious note. Plus, it is the year of digging stuff out of the ground. Your morning RBI has the most unusual red-hot market of the year. And do you like what you see and hear here? Then if you do, subscribe to our podcast. You might be commuting back to the office soon. Check it out. Download Worldwide Exchange today. We're back after this Dow Futures Off 69. It is Fed Decision Day. Will Jay Powell and company get more aggressive on inflation or let your money run hot? 
President Biden set to come face to face with Vladimir Putin in Switzerland with cyber attacks on America's infrastructure by criminals topic the agenda and developing overnight more good news in the fight against COVID and big new news on one major treatment as cases crash all around America. It is Wednesday, June 16th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get a check of your money ahead of the Fed's decision and futures. Well, they're pretty much mixed. We are seeing Dow futures down 75, as you can see there in the bottom right side of your screen. But technology stocks, futures, they are flat to maybe slightly higher. Now, markets have been kind of sluggish lately, but they've been sluggishly and maybe sneakily hot. Because while we haven't had a big move in either direction in a few weeks, Overall, the trend has been very good. Why do we say that? Well, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ are up 7% since April 1st. Been kind of a sneaky good rally, and we'll see if that will continue today. Bonds have been kind of rallying as well, and as prices go up, yields go down. Good news, by the way, for anybody wanting to buy a home or refi a mortgage, 10-year yields still below 1.5%. Been kind of the surprise. Everybody talking about tapering. Two things, very quickly. Number one, The Fed's already tapering. They're selling off their corporate bond portfolio. While that doesn't get the attention of treasuries, it is something. And it's kind of the the beginning of the beginning, if you might. And we probably already saw the beginning of that taper tantrum, if you will. If we throw up a chart of 10-year yields from November to March, the 10-year yields spiked. So everyone's waiting for this. When's the bond market going to move? The bond market, according to many we read on Wall Street, may have already moved. Remember, the job of Wall Streeters is not to wait until things happen. It's to anticipate and move so when everybody else moves, they can sell it to you. So maybe you already saw kind of a a taper tantrum, if you will, by the bond market about six months ago. What continues to move is oil and oil stocks. Oil, what's new? Higher again, above 72 bucks. Uh, an appeals court judge, a federal court judge in Louisiana saying that President Biden does not have the power to ban oil and gas leases on federal lands. We'll see if that is going to be appealed. Either way, the price of oil is up a little bit right now. And the XLE, oil and gas stocks, they continue to remain hot as well. The XLE coming off yesterday, its biggest move in June. Been quite the move for oil stocks. And a quick check on the crypto market. They are quiet this morning. Bitcoin, though, is holding above 40,000, not by much, by 52 bucks, but it's at $40,052, so at least above 40,000 right now. All right, more in the markets in a moment, but right now to your top geopolitical story, and that is President Biden will meet face-to-face with Vladimir Putin in Geneva today. Cybersecurity, one of the top items, if not the top item on the agenda The White House says the president will confront Putin over the recent ransomware attacks by cyber criminals originating from Russia. It targeted critical American infrastructure like the Colonial Pipeline and meatpacking giant JBS. Now, Russian officials have denied they control the criminal gangs while also calling hackers whose activities meet the Kremlin's goals, quote, patriotic. Hmm. Let's talk more all about this with Shane Tu, president of Logan Circle Strategies, 
and a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Shane, welcome. You know, typical doublespeak from Putin. Uh, We don't sanction these gangs. They have nothing to do with us. But what they're doing is kind of patriotic, which is a little bit of a, a wink and maybe a nod to the cyber hacking criminals in Russia. What is the best case scenario of what President Biden may be able to get Putin to commit to or at least agree to in their summit tonight? I'm not sure there's actually anything they can agree to. Cyber norms have been a challenge. We have tried multiple times. The thing is, who's, who's telling the truth here is what you have to, to understand. And it's usually not the Russians. They're weaponizing the Internet and the networks. And they've exposed the uh, soft underbelly of the Internet by the, the recent attacks. They're constantly testing our network. Uh, as uh, Congressman Michael McCall has mentioned several times, we've got to be willing to punch back. We haven't been able to be willing to do that because attribution has always been tough, but it's not impossible. And recently, the reports have been showing the DOD have, have shown up with evidence, even though he says that we have not, that they are definitely all lines are rolling back to Russia. And they're doing this as as part of their you know, t- testing both the Internet and the power sources, which are the really the key to our economy. Well, you're not sounding very optimistic, Shane. Uh, <laughs> I wish President I could Biden be more. Can, can kind of, yeah, I mean, Biden can scold Putin, ask for favors. Do you, though, ultimately think that Putin could, you know, tell these criminals to knock it off? I mean, I'm not sure President Biden or any president, by the way, around the world would have the power to tell criminals, well, hey, stop what you're doing. Okay, we'll stop. I mean, just... Does Putin even have that power? He does. They, they passed legislation in May that says that all of the Russian ISPs have to basically have a network back into uh, the, the Putin power system. So if he wanted somebody to stop something in Russia, he absolutely has the power to do that. And he's done that by his own laws. So if yes, it would be great if, if President Biden was able to make some headway there. But as we know, he doesn't need to have the truth on his side. And he constantly says we don't show up with any evidence. So he, he has no reason to stop this. They've been toying with us for years. They've been testing our system. And they've now realized over the last ransomware acts that they can have great action on our economy. Yeah, that, that is incredibly important, by the way. And I want to get to that final point, Shane, which is that our viewers may not realize, I did not realize until studying for this interview, that every piece of pretty much you know, information, Twitter, Facebook, I'm making those up, in Russia, have to go through a centralized government server. They have the power to turn off the water pipe, if you will. I mean, it's pretty incredible if you think about it. Do you think anything like that could ever happen here? Or do you think that what Russia is doing is uniquely designed, maybe with China, to do that, to control and maybe promote mis- or disinformation? Absolutely. You know, internet fragmentation has been a challenge since the internet was created. We fight very hard for freedom. One of our challenges has been one of the things they've weaponized is Tor, which is something that we actually created here in the United States to allow signal intelligence to come back here so we could we could monitor what was going in in other countries. And it also allowed people that were considered dissidents to be able to contact and work through their own freedom networks. And now Russia has decided that that is not the network that they're going to use. They're going to use one that is 100 percent controlled by their government and they choose what their citizens can see. So besides the, the cyber attacks, which are causing us potential economic harm here, we're also seeing them fragment the Internet to make sure that the Russian people and the same thing goes on in China, as we've known for a long time with the 
the Great Firewall, um, they don't have access to the truth, and the truth is made up for them, and the whole concept of fake news continues to live very heavily in Russia. State-sanctioned fake news, it sounds like there. Shane Twos of Logan Circle. Shane, thank you very much. Some shocking stuff there. I want you to think about that for a second, folks. All the news, everything in Russia on the Internet will go through centralized government servers. Imagine that here. I mean, just put your head around that as well. Uh, pretty shocking stuff, if you really think about it. Shane, thank you very much. All right. Let's get down to more on some uh, other key headlines this Wednesday morning, including more from our exclusive Evolve Global Summit. Bertha Coombs is back down with those headlines. Bertha. Hey, Brian. Former Xerox CEO Ursula Burns is calling on companies to rethink their criteria when it comes to diversity in their leadership. Speaking with CNBC yesterday, Burns, who was the first black woman to become CEO of Fortune 500 company, and she also serves currently on the boards of Uber and ExxonMobil, she says the idea that there's a shortage of qualified board candidates who are female, people of color, or both is small-minded. The specifications are biased. The specifications are biased. Not that the, not the people are incapable. Some people are, but this is not what we're talking about here. They spec'd it in such a way that only five people or 10 people could possibly fit the specification. And every one of those guys are boarded up. Some of them are getting too old to serve. General Motors is reportedly set to ramp up its spending globally on electric and autonomous vehicles. According to Reuters, the automaker will spend $35 billion through 2025. That's a 30% increase from its most recent forecast. The report says as part of the plan, GM will build two additional U.S. battery plants. And an antibody treatment from Regeneron has shown to significantly cut the risk of death among certain hospitalized COVID patients. A U.K. trial involving nearly 10,000 patients showed that using the treatment along with usual care for the virus cut the risks of dying by one-fifth among hospitalized patients who hadn't produced antibodies to the virus. Brian, you know, they've started actually advertising that drug uh, for people to try to get it when they're in early stages before they get hospitalized. So it's a, it's a very interesting time. Yeah, and very good news, by the way, hospitalizations and fatalities down 90% from their January highs. So some really, really terrific data coming out on this as well. And another help for the Coombs, thank you very much. In fact, folks, we've had many days where there's been fewer than 10,000 new cases, and that's with testing being pretty much cheap or even free and extremely prevalent. Some very good news in the U.S., the fight on COVID. All right, coming up, a potentially holy grail when it comes to vaccines, vaccines that have nothing to do with COVID and a potentially $10 billion marketplace on maybe the next global healthcare fight. But as we had to break some other key headlines, Oracle's fourth quarter earnings beating forecasts, cloud services demand up, shares though are down, the company's profit guidance below analyst estimates. Lazy Boy, best name company in the world. Fourth quarter earnings blowing past estimates. Sales are up, but the company is struggling to keep up with demand because of supply chain issues. Roblox down. It's the company reporting a decline in users. They're spending on the gaming platform in the month of May. Daily active users down about 1%. Dow futures down 58 points. We're back right after this.
the new rules cannot be set by the G7 countries alone. It really needs a multilateral consensus amongst all countries, big and small, and to ensure a level playing field across all jurisdictions. So when these new rules are in place, Singapore will certainly adjust our tax systems accordingly to be in line with the global consensus and also in consultation with businesses here. That was Singapore's finance minister speaking at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit earlier today, and it had to do with the G7's agreement this past weekend on a global minimum tax. Singapore's finance minister effectively saying, yeah, not going to happen here. By the way, Evolve continues today. Check out CNBC.com slash events. All right, let's move on. And let's talk vaccines, but not vaccines that have to do with COVID, because despite all of our health attention being rightly focused on COVID in the past 15 months, There's still a lot of other really bad stuff out there that we need to fight, including one called RSV. And Big Pharma is racing to solve it. According to your next guest, this could be a $10 billion or more market. Let's talk more about it with Jeff Porges. He is Director of Therapeutics Research and Senior Biotech Analyst at SVB Larynx. Jeff, welcome. I know all the attention has rightly been, by the way, on COVID. We've got a lot of other big problems that have been here before and will continue to be here afterwards. One of them is called RSV. What is it and what, what kind of a market for vaccines do you think there might be? Good morning, Brian. Uh, so look, RSV is, is something that we've been chasing in the vaccine world for you know, many decades. Um, it's been a well-known respiratory virus since the 1960s. Um, and it's tricky because like, for example, COVID or influenza, it's something that we get reinfected with fairly regularly, and of course, it's about 150,000 hospitalizations and tragically some deaths in premature infants as well, but it also sneaks up on you again later in life. Uh, People in their 60s, 70s, and 80s are vulnerable to RSV, and RSV can then precipitate hospitalization, serious complicated pneumonias, and other respiratory infections. So it's one of those diseases that affect you at both extremes of life, like influenza, not quite as severe as influenza, but probably more common, and therefore it's really worth preventing. But it's a tricky virus to prevent. A little bit like influenza as well, it can shift. Um, We've had some uh, fits and starts with development programs for vaccines in the past. We got some very good news this year that suggests we're actually going to be successful this time. Of course, all the big vaccine companies are completely involved in this category. Yeah. And who are the potential winners here? I mean, aside from obviously the families of the kids, because this is this is unlike COVID, something that really goes after the very young. Who are the potential winners here, Jeff? Yeah, this so far, this category looks like it's going to be dominated initially by the what we call the big three or four. GSK, Pfizer, Johnson, Johnson, Sanofi are just behind them. The only of the large vaccine company that's not involved right now is Mark. Um, so they'll be in the lead, and they have programs, all of them now, in phase three or, or approaching phase three. We'll, as I said, Sanofi's already read out the first data for their pediatric or infant uh, program called Nosevimab. It's actually an antibody to prevent the, the virus. Uh, that's already read out, and they've told us that it's positive. We haven't seen the full data. But just behind them, all these new upstarts, the Modernas, the BioNTechs, the CureVacs of the world, these companies developing RSV, uh, sorry, mRNA for RSV prevention. Um, and that looks like it's going to be a pretty promising technology in this category as well. So there's the first wave, which are the big guys, and then the innovators are going to come along and try and deploy some of this novel technology against this pathogen. Uh, it's going to be competitive, but it's going to be an exciting space over the next four or five years. 
Yeah, it truly is. I mean, and that's kind of the thing, Jeff, and why we appreciate coming on. I've been reading your notes, and I mean, the biotech world has been so singularly focused on COVID, rightly so, for the past 15 or 16 months. But we got to remember, I mean, there's a lot of other bad stuff out there, a lot of weight gain. There's a huge diabetes is going to only grow. We've got all these other things that we didn't think about before. Cancer deaths probably up as well. In fact, affecting somebody very close to me right now, as a matter of fact. Um, what other opportunities do you think there will be, unfortunately, out there uh, as we come out of this COVID haze? Yeah, well, look, the interesting thing about the biopharma industry is they haven't been sort of sitting idly by while they've been addressing COVID. Remarkable progress on COVID, and I think we're all deeply appreciative of what's come out of, the, of all of the companies developing both antibodies and vaccines. But behind the scenes, there's been tremendous progress in cancer. We saw uh, a lot of breakthroughs announced at the recent virtual um, ASCO conference, which is the big meeting for the year, um, seeing breakthroughs in, in still more breakthroughs in lung cancer, maybe progress in pancreatic cancer, real breakthroughs in uh, esophageal cancer, which is something that people have been very afraid of as a terrible diagnosis. So, so a lot of progress in cancer. And then now, of course, we have aducanumab approved for Alzheimer's um, in the last week. You know, there's controversial views there, but it's yeah. great that there's a treatment for that disease. And then we still have progress in in gene therapies and and uh, in other diseases as well. So there's been a lot of progress behind yeah. the that we're going to hear about now. Yeah, and we are seeing the rates of uh, certain cancers like breast cancer and others soar. Uh, Jeff, unfortunately, Jeff Porges, thank you very much. SVB Larry, talking about RSV vaccines. All right, as we head to break, just a reminder, June is Pride Month. Here's Susie Orman. Being a lesbian has been the greatest part of my life. Be proud of who you are. Stand in your own truth. Tell everybody, because if you know who you are, I promise you, it will get you to exactly where you want to go. That's what happened to me. That can happen for you as well. Today's RBI is a continuation of a theme that we have been talking about all year. 2021 is shaping up to be the year of taking stuff out of the ground. Gold, silver, oil, and many things found underground are booming. And that includes something that may blow your mind a little bit. Coal. That's right. Coal prices are surging. And one big reason is that demand is suddenly spiking in all places, Europe. Report yesterday said that because natural gas supplies are so low, many European power companies are kind of sheepishly having to go back to coal to produce electricity. In fact, coal use in Europe is up double digits in many countries this year. And it's not just Europe. Despite being down from its highs, coal still accounts for more than half of China's power production. And they're building out a huge number of new coal-fired powered plants and also funding the building of coal plants around the world. Think about that. Coal on fire in 2021. Not exactly stuff of the Paris Climate Accord, now is it? No, it is not. But it is certainly random but interesting in a hidden market of the world that is also on fire. All right, back now to the markets and your money. And investors are eagerly, I mean, just bated breath, Awaiting the Fed's latest policy decision due out at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. And, of course, while no one expects them to raise rates, 
It's that sudden change in language. But we care about what you think, loyal viewer and listener. So we put out a Twitter poll and asked, where will the 10-year bond yield be at the end of the year? Above 2%, 1.5% to 2%, or below 1.5%. By the way, I'm in the below 1.5% camp. Not that anybody cares. Well, by the way, most of you are in that middle. Of course, everybody always chooses medium. Right? What size do you want? Medium? There you go. 55% of you chose 1.5% to 2% with about the same ratio, above 2% and below 1.5%. So you don't see much move in yields. But what does our next guest see? Joining us now, Katerina Simonetti, Senior Vice President, Private Wealth Advisor at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. Katerina, good morning. Where would you have come in on that poll? Brian, certainly is a year of surprises. And I'm not going to surprise you by telling me that I would uh, come right there in the middle. Uh, I think that it is Uh, widely expected that the rates are going to be going up. And while the biggest objective for Federal Reserve at the moment seems to be getting us through this economic recovery, but we know that higher rates are on the horizon. And what we're waiting for is for them to change the narrative and start preparing general public for rate increases. And then we would know that they are, you know, ready for the strategy change. And meanwhile, what we're telling investors... Okay, so do you... Do you expect a a big change, Katerina, in the Fed's language? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? These little nuanced changes in the words that they use strong instead of tough or whatever it might be. Do you expect any change that would indicate they will get more hawkish, aggressive, whatever, around inflation? Not at the moment, Brian. I really think that they are taking this wait-and-see attitude to see if this changes in inflation that we're seeing that investors are so concerned about are temporary in nature. They want to see if perhaps this post-COVID recovery is what is causing the data and buying themselves a little bit of time. So while we see the rate hike is definitely on the horizon, we're not really expecting a serious change in language or them setting expectations yet. In the future, absolutely. Okay, so if you're right, and if that happens, is that kind of the all clear until maybe the all, because everybody else is kind of looking for the Jackson Hole Fed Symposium in in August to be kind of the the time when they will, you know, sit down on a beautiful field with Steve Leisman with a fence in the background and say, yeah, we're going to change things up. Is this the all clear for the summer? Well, Brian, I think that while we know what is coming, the question is, what does it mean for investors? And investors should be actively repositioning their portfolios right now with expectations that rates are going to be high. So what if it might happen, you know, not a week from now, but maybe a month or maybe even a year from now? The point of it is, is that we need to reposition to safety. We need to prepare for this mid-market transition that we are in and rotate out of the risky stocks and into more of a defensive position which is an appropriate thing to do at the moment. Katerina Simonetti. Katerina, pleasure to have you back on. Katerina, thank you very much for joining us. And we will look forward to that Fed meeting. Thank you. Take care. All right. So most of you are kind of right in the middle. Why do we always pick medium when it comes to everything? There we Most of you picked that medium with the interest rate call by the end of the year. All right, thanks for watching Worldwide Exchange. A big Fed meeting nonetheless today. Dow futures down a bit. NASDAQ futures up a bit. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk of the game.
We'll pick it up next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 